3. Colossians chapter 3. Uh, I don't know about you, we talked about this a little last week, me and Wes did, but this is such a surreal experience uh, for me personally. Uh, this stage was kind of where I got my start. Uh, actually, when I was a college student, I was able to intern in this ministry and was able to preach right from this stage as a college student. Um, and then uh, as a youth pastor for many years, right here was kind of where it happened just about every Wednesday night. And uh, literally, it was like this crazy moment and experience that I've got to have over the last few years right here on this stage. And as I was preparing for this message, I kind of had that in the back of my head. And this thought kind of came into my head, and it's kind of a funny thought, but it's also kind of a serious thought. The thought was, I hope I'm better than I was 15 years ago. Right? I mean, let's be honest. Like, that's kind of a thought that you're thinking is, all right, I'm getting ready to get back on the stage right here where it all began. I hope I'm better than I was 15 years ago. And the truth of the matter is, I think for a lot of us, we kind of have an, a common thought when it comes to things like that. Like, if you're a golfer in the room, hopefully you're better than where you were five years ago. If you're not, maybe you need to stop, right? As a parent... As a parent, I've got four kids, and my oldest is 13 now, and I, I think about this often. I hope I'm a better father now than I was the day Will was born. I hope I'm a better father. I, I know you're probably thinking that. I hope I'm a better mother, right? I hope I'm a better employee now than I was a year ago. There's this common thing within us, this common thought that, we hope we're better now than where we started in life in a certain field or place. In fact, one goal of life is that with maturity comes a better perspective and even a better performance of life. And this isn't just true in our business world and in our parenting world. This is, should be true. It should be true in the spiritual realm, in the world, in the life of following Jesus. But sadly, and I'm just going to say it, sadly for some of us, our golf game looks better than our walk with Jesus. And here's the thing that, that, that really just started to hit me. That for some of us, when we start following Jesus, for years and years and years, it stays kind of the same in fact, I remember as a youth pastor going to camp. And, and some of you guys that are older have had the camp experience. Maybe you just got back from camp this summer uh, with our student ministry. And it's, it kind of has the same thing. And I'm not disrespecting this because God uses camp. But a lot of times God will move in a strong way at camp. And towards the end of the week, a lot of times you have a testimony time where people are able to kind of share what God's been doing in their life. Or they hear about it when they get back. And you have these times. I remember them in, a, in our youth group. Even as a teenager, I remember them. And, and somebody would share, you know, their testimony of what God did this week. And, I mean, it was just like you can tell the Lord was really working in their life. And they would literally just be like, and I, I, I really think this. I'm never going to sin again. <laughs> I mean, after this week, it ain't happening. And, you know, your friend, you'd turn and look at your friend and be like, that ain't happening. Like, he's going to mess up again. And, and, and what happens, right? Like, give it, like, a week, a day, maybe even just a few hours, and they find themselves right back where they were. And here's what's so sad about that. Many students, and I hate to say many adults, 
kind of live from camp high to church high to camp high. And we just kind of wait for that time of year where the Lord's going to speak to us and we're going to have a one great week and then we're going to go right back to the way we were. And some people even get worse. Even get worse. And so I, I want us to think about that because I'll just tell you, and I think this is probably where you're at too, I don't want my life to be like that. I don't want the same attitudes and actions hang me up the same way they did when I was 18 or even 30 or even 39. I'm 40. I know I'm old. I want to do things differently. I'm praying that God is working in my heart in such a way that I'm not held back the exact same way I was when I was 18. We call this maturity. We call this sanctification if you want the church word for it. But this should be our desire that as followers of Jesus, we should be living in the reality of who we now are. No longer dead in sin, but alive in Christ. And if you're a believer here today, this should be true of your life. And I'll just say it, that's a big if, the if you're a believer part. Because let's be honest, there's people in the room right now that you're not a believer. You, maybe you came in just to see what we're about. Or maybe you've been in the church for 20 years and you're just kind of a, a cultural Christian, a believer by name. And, and truth be told, the reason there's no change in your life is because you've never been changed. And maybe today for you, this message is not going to really apply as much to you because you're not alive in Christ yet. You've got to be alive in Christ for this part of the message today to, to affect you. So maybe before the end of today, maybe the step for you is not what I'm about to talk about as much as it is just becoming alive in Christ, no longer dead in Christ. But for those of us in here that are alive in Christ, that are a part of the family of God, that if you follow Jesus, our life has changed. That was the whole message last week. Our life has changed. And we see this right here in Ephesians 3 verses 1 through four, that if, if your life has changed, that in your past, this is in verse one, in your past, you were raised with Christ. There was a point in your life where you were dead and now you're alive. That in the present, this is in verse three, that you are protected by Christ. The word there is hidden, but it's this idea of protection. We saw this last week. Think about this. Nothing can touch your life without first passing through the hand of God. That's pretty amazing when you think about that. For those of us that are believers in Christ, this is our reality. We are protected by God. Verse 3. Verse 4. In the future, you will be glorified like Christ. And that we find this here in Ephesians 3, 4, but we also see it in 1 John 3, 2. It tells us that our future is glorious heaven where we will be fully changed into the image of Jesus. That is what awaits us. That is our future. And so today I want to pick up from that, from what we talked about last week, right here in verse 5. Look at with me in verse 5 of Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore, therefore, because of who we are now, because our life has changed, therefore, put to death what is earthly in you. Put to death what is earthly in you. And I'm going to use a different phrase here, and it's really the context of this entire passage. Therefore, cast off. Cast 
off. And I'm, I'm going to kind of explain what we see here. The context of this passage here is this picture of getting rid of old clothes. Okay, and this is going to kind of fit our entire passage today. It's this idea of getting rid of old clothes. Now, I have a confession to make, and, I, and I'm not even being funny. Like, you can laugh, but it's not just funny. It's a serious problem I have. I have too many clothes, like truly. I have too many clothes. Specifically, I have too many T-shirts. Because I don't know if you deal with this, but I deal with this. Every conference I go to, every concert I go to, every special place of interest that I go to, I always feel this urge to get a T-shirt. And I got too many of them. In fact, I have so many of them, I can't wear them and cycle through them well enough. And here's what happens. Invariably, this happens often. I start to feel this conviction of like, I've got too much stuff in my house. And my wife loves this because um, I, I kind of get in this mo mode. In fact, I was there just literally two weeks ago or two Saturdays ago. I get in this mode where it's just like, all right, we need, to, we need to purge. We need to get rid of some of this stuff. And so what do you do? You go in and get the hefty garbage bag, right? The, the brand new hefty garbage bag. I'm not throwing them away, but you get the bag. You stuff it full of stuff. And then you take it to your local nonprofit, you know, and you're dropping it off and you feel so good about what you're doing. And let's be honest, if we're going to be honest, we feel better that we're getting rid of it than we are giving it to someone. But we're just thankful to be rid of it. When we're talking about this idea of getting rid of old clothes, that's not the picture we're talking about. The picture looks more like the story of Lazarus. You remember the story of Lazarus? We're going to look at it here for just a second. But it's the story of Lazarus. Dude's been dead for four days. And Jesus shows up. And we know the story, even if you didn't grow up in church, maybe you've heard this story before. Jesus shows up, and look at what it says in John 11, 43 and 44. It's going to come up on the screen, I think. Yeah. Uh, when Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. And here's three words that we kind of know, right? We've, we used to sing songs about this, this, these three words. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44, the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Now, it's funny that we read this, but we kind of have a different picture, at least I do. Like, I remember watching movies or TV shows about Jesus, and I remember this scene in the movie, right? Like, Jesus says what he says, the, 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 the stone's already rolled away, and all of a sudden you see Lazarus. He's just coming out victorious, right? Like, he's like, oh, I'm here. You know, that's not what we read, right? What we read is he's bound up. And his face is covered. He's like a mummy just kind of hobbling out of the tomb because that's what we read there. And most of us know this story. Most of us know what Jesus says to get Lazarus out of the grave. Lazarus, come forth. Most of us know those words. Do we know the very next thing Jesus says? The very next thing Jesus says is what I want us to think about here. It says, Jesus said to them, the men, right, that are around, unbind him and let him go. Take off his burial clothes. Take them off. Now, think about this. If, if you were the guy that Jesus is talking to at that point, 
let's be honest, who wants to be that guy, right? Like, you're thinking to yourself, Jesus, if you can raise this man from the dead, could you find a better way to get those burial clothes off? It's gross. Why is it gross? It's gross because even though Lazarus is alive, they, he's been rotting in these clothes for four days now. He's been decaying. These clothes are filthy. They have death on them. They smell bad. And yet this is the picture that I want us to think about in the context of Colossians 3 today. That this is the imagery that we see. Therefore, go back to where we're at. Therefore, because of who we are now, because we've been raised with Christ, just like Lazarus, therefore, cast off grave clothes. Cast off grave clothes. Every one of us, every one of us is born with grave clothes. We're born with something that is hideous, that is tattered, that is disgusting, that smells bad. Every one of us. We're born. We're born dead and we're born in dead clothes. Grave clothes. I bought this at a thrift store and I had uh, my friend Elizabeth kind of help me out with it. And, and I'll be honest, I had it in the car and I was driving to the church to, to drop it off. And as I was driving it, it literally started to smell in the car. Like I had to roll the windows down just to get it here, right? Why? Because these are old. They're ill-fitting. They don't even fit me. I'm not made for this. And the picture we have here is, is Jesus is saying, hey, because you've been changed, because you've been raised to life, cast this stuff off. Like th this stuff binds us up. It binds the believer up, and it's not what we were made to be. So, so Jesus is saying through Paul here, hey, just cast it off. Take it off, and don't wear that anymore. Because that's, that's the old life. That's the old way of living. So we're to cast this off. And what Paul does here is he gives us two sets of sins, two lists, sample lists of sins that believers commonly struggle with. These are things in our life that are frequent and they're very troubling sins that we as believers find ourselves falling into. And it's not an all-encompassing list. Like, it's not everything we should cast off. There's lots of stuff we should cast off. But Paul gives us two different lists that I want us to focus on for just a minute. The first thing that Paul tells us to cast off is he wants us to cast off perverted love. Perverted love. Look at verse 5 with me again. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. This list starts with sexual immorality which is a perversion of what God intended love to be. God has a standard for sexual intimacy that takes place only in a covenant marriage between one man and one woman. And any, anything outside of that is immorality, and, and most of us have kind of grown up knowing that to be true. But notice the progression here. Look at how Paul lists out this progression he progresses from the action to the motive. The action of sexual immorality to motives that are before the action. 
Immorality is definitely an action, but it starts way back in the subtle motives of the heart and mind. And what we see here is the immorality, if you look at the list there, immorality comes from impurity. It comes from a mind and a heart that is impure. The immorality doesn't start in the bed, it starts in the mind. Immorality doesn't start in the bed, it starts in the mind. The Greek word here is the word porneia. It's where we get the word pornography from. We're we're not just talking here about a physical act of immorality. We're also talking about what takes place in the heart, what takes place in the mind, and what we allow our eyes to see. And Paul's saying, cast this off. This is impurity, something that has been corrupted by the enemy and by our flesh. Impurity comes from passion. It comes from evil desire. So you have the action of immorality. You have the motive of impurity. And even further into that, there's this motive of passion, this motive of evil desire. It's this idea of doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it. Doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it. And it's this thought process that's so much more than just a, 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 a thing for people. It's this, this mindset of, I'm going to do what I feel like doing. This base thought of that. Two days ago, my, my eight-year-old comes in and he's holding his eye. And I said, what happened? He said, Abe, my four-year-old, uh, threw a Hot Wheel car at him. Now, I don't know if y'all know what that is, but that is like a chunk of metal thrown at my eight-year-old son. And I go upstairs and I ask Abraham, I said, uh, why did you do that? Because I felt like it. <laughs> now, I had to do something after that that I had to do. Um, but, but man, did you hear what he said? At least he was honest, right? Because I felt like it. It's the base emotion of a primitive, young, immature child to say something like that. But let's be honest, that's, that's the root of our lust. That's the root of impurity. That's the root of that. It's doing whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And for some of us, we never grow out of that. Passion, evil desire, comes from coveting. It comes from coveting. What's coveting? It's it's far beyond just coveting your neighbor's wife. It's more than that. It's this broad desire for more. A desire that we have for more. It's like, I have this, but I want that. I have this, but I want that. This desire we have for more. And it, it, it burns within us, right? This, this thing that just constantly, the things that we have, we're never content with. We always want what the other guy has, or what the other newest thing is. And all of this is stemming. So you have immorality, you have impurity, you have passion and evil desire, and you have coveting, and even coveting comes from something. Coveting comes from idolatry. Idolatry, what's idolatry? What's Paul saying it is here? It's this idea of elevating yourself above all. Elevating yourself above all. Not just all people, but even God himself. It's saying, 
in your own heart and in your own mind and in your own actions, I'm the top. And it's a life shared by earthly things and feelings instead of a life by God. And verse 6 tells us, Paul says, on account of these things, immorality, impurity, evil desire, and passion, coveting, idolatry, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Like it's because of this stuff that God is coming. And Paul's not warning us that if we sin as believers, we're going to feel the furious eternal wrath of God. That's not what Paul's saying to us as believers. What he is saying is this. Why would we live like those who are on a path to hell? Why would we live like that? Verse 7, Paul says, In these you too once walked. These things you once walked in when you were living in them. He's saying here, hey, it makes sense that you were wearing those sins, that you were wearing those grave clothes when you were dead. That makes perfect sense. But verse 8, but now you must put them all away. You must cast them off. So Paul gives us that first list of sins, and then he lists another set of sins. It's not just perverted love, but also personal hate. Perverted love and personal hate. And the rest of verse 8 kind of lists out what he's talking about. He says in verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. These are the lists that he has. This is the list that he has of personal hate. And one pastor actually called this list of sins, the sins of good standing. And here's why he said it. That we are so accustomed to anger and critical attitudes and lying and hurtful words that we may very well no longer feel upset or convicted about these sins. That we would be shocked to hear of a church member engaged in sexual immorality in our church, but we would also would watch him lose his cool and temper at the restaurant and we would call that righteous indignation. Paul says, not only cast off sexual immorality, cast off this thing, this pervert, excuse me, this personal hate. And what's interesting here, and I know some of you are like, why are you telling us about the progression? It's very important. He changes the progression. So with perverted love, he starts with the action and moves to the motive. He does the opposite with this set of sins. He starts with the motive and ends with the action. He starts with anger, right? Anger to wrath. It's a chronic attitude of simmering resentment with acute outbursts of boiling rage. And for some of us, we don't even need that definition. The question is this. Are you an angry person? Are you an angry person? Maybe you can't answer that question, but I guarantee you, your family can answer that question. Would your kids say that you're an angry person? Would your spouse say that you're an angry person? This is where this sin starts. It's this idea of anger to wrath, this idea of chronic resentment that's just eating away at us with these occasional outbursts. Then it goes from wrath to malice, it's this desire to harm, this desire to harm. You're already thinking about how you can tell that person off. 
It's that moment that you take when you're in the middle of, right in in the mirror, or you're taking a shower, and in your head, you're already rehearsing what you're going to say, how you're going to get at them, right? It's this fantasizing of harm. Malice to slander, it's speaking evil about someone. You've rehearsed it, and now it's going to come out. It's going to come out, and it's going to come out in the form of gossip. It's going to come out in the form of a prayer request. We really need to pray for Sue. Uh, I've heard some really interesting things about Sue. It's speaking evil about someone. And then you go slander to obscene talk. So you start with anger. It moves to wrath. It moves to malice. It moves to slander. And then it moves to this idea of obscene Talk, obscene talk, and there's many places in Scripture where it talks about the things that come out of our mouth. In this context, it could be translated foul-mouthed abuse. It's abusive speech intended to harm that person. So the motive of anger that we leave unchecked in our lives eventually gets down here where we're hurting people with the things we say and the things we do to them. And it's destruction and devastation. So Paul says about these two lists, cast them off. Cast off these grave clothes that you're wearing. And and here's what you put on. If you're going to cast this off, you're going to put on glory clothes. You're going to cast off grave clothes and you're going to put on glory clothes. Now, I'll be honest, when I, when I started writing that, I was like, that sounds like a good southern gospel song, doesn't it? It's like, put on glory clothes. I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe there's a song about glory clothes, but I couldn't come up with a better word, right? There's, a, there's not a better word for that. Like, if this represents the grave and death, this represents glory. It represents our life in Christ, that God has provided something for us that we were meant to wear, something clean and pure. So how do we do this? Does this just happen? How does it happen? How do we go from wearing that to wearing this? The first thing we see here is recognize the peril of deception. Recognize the peril of deception. Verse 9, look at what it says. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. I love how the, merit, uh, the message paraphrases this verse. It says this, don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Don't lie to one another. Don't say you're this and actually be this. Don't live a life of deception. There is so much danger in living a life of duplicity and deception. But for a lot of us, this is, this is where we operate. Like, we, we're believers in Christ. We love the Lord, but... If we're honest, man, we have got these pet sins in our life that we just live and operate in. And we live in them Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and half of Sunday. And and instead of casting this off, instead of doing the hard work of casting this off, rather than cast off, we cover up. 
we say, you know, rather than deal with the sin in my life, I'll tell you what I'll do. When I have the special occasions that I have, it's getting hot up here just for the record. <laughs> but when I have the special occasions in my life, the spiritual moments, the camp for the student, the church for the adult, the pastor coming over for dinner, I'll just put this on over. I'll keep my little pet sins, right? I'll keep all this stuff going. But I can just cover all that up. I can show up at church and no one will know the difference. No porn here. No gossip here. No slander here. No bad attitude here. I can just cover it up. That's easier, right? That's a lot easier than casting it off, than praying for God to help me through getting rid of the sin of my life. I'll just, I'll just cover it up. And I believe this is what, what, what Paul is saying here. Hey, don't lie to one another. Don't live a life of duplicity, of deception. Because here's the thing, this looks ridiculous. And, and the truth is, you hang around long enough, you can start to see what's underneath, right? And you can definitely smell it. And what Paul's saying here is living deceptively will catch up with us. It'll catch up with us. And we've seen this, right? Like, I've heard of pastors recently that have lived lives of deception, and it breaks my heart because they, they caught so much damage to their personal ministry and, and even to the people that, that are following them because they're living this duplicitous life. Paul's saying, hey, recognize the peril of that deception. Don't lie to one another. Don't be that way. Next, we have to visualize the progression of sin. Visualize the progression of sin. Look at verse 10. And have put on the new self, the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. What knowledge? I'll tell you what knowledge. The knowledge of how to follow Jesus and how to avoid sin. Like, that's what this word is, right? The Bible is that very thing. It tells us who God is. It tells us who we are. And it's the knowledge of how do we follow Jesus? This is what tells us how to follow Jesus. How do we avoid sin? This is what tells us how to avoid sin. And this is what he's saying here. In fact, the reason Paul gives us those two lists, he could have just said, stay away from sexual immorality and stay away from slandering and, and, and busting up people, like abusing people with your words. He could have just said that he didn't. He gave you the entire list, and he gave it in a progressive order both times. Why? He's trying to show us that what all started as something in the mind can create so much devastation. What starts in the motive and the mind down here will, will become an action and devastation for our lives. And this is why Paul gives us this progression. I remember visiting uh, Victoria Falls. We were on a mission trip and uh, we had a, a group with us uh, and we were, had a, a day off and we were able to go to Victoria Falls and there's a picture of it there. It's a beautiful place, just an amazing spot. And me and my friend Dan Howard, I don't know if Dan's in here, and Kristen Cogdell, she's also in our church, we decided we wanted to do this little uh, excursion where uh, you get in a boat and you get as close to the edge as you can. Not in the boat, but you get on this little island and then it puts you right there on the edge where you can overlook the other side of the thing. And this is us in the boat. And when we started, you, I don't know if you can tell, but look at how calm the river is. 
Like, there's nobody on that river. Like, it's calm, it's peaceful, you could swim there, it wouldn't even be a deal. And we, we get in the boat, we start going down the thing, and as we're going, the waters start to get a little rougher, and the next picture kind of shows you what we see. We start seeing mist kind of coming up on the horizon, this just giant walls of mist and cloud, and we begin to hear the roar of the waterfall. And here's the truth. Like, I started getting a little scared because even though we're in a boat, a speedboat, I was thinking, man, what if this motor cut off? Like, what, what would happen to us? We'd go right off the edge of that thing. And the reason I bring this up is I, I really feel like what Paul's trying to show us with these progressions is that for a lot of us in, this, in, the, in our flesh, us as believers, we throw on the grave clothes and we put the pedal to the metal going straight towards the waterfall with no thought of where it's going to lead us, with no thought of where it's going to take us. And we're not talking about hell here, but what we're talking about is the consequences of sin in the Christian's life. That man left unchecked, left unguarded, we have a tendency to go from right here to idolatry all the way to sexual immorality. Right here from anger all the way to devastating people with our words. And, and, and every sin's like that. That your thought can become your choice. That your choice can become your habit. And that your habit can become your lifestyle. And when it comes to sin, man, we've got to keep this in mind. This is what Paul's showing us in his word. He's saying, hey, look at the path. Visualize the path of sin. Visualize the progression of where your sin is going to take you, of where your choice is going to take you, of where your habit is going to take you. Look ahead. When it comes to sin, don't ride down the river Look down the river. Don't ride down the river. Look down the river. If sin looks attractive, look down the river. Look at what that thought may turn into. Look at the consequences that could come from even a stray thought in our hearts. So we have to, when it comes to putting on God, when it comes to putting on glory clothes, we have to recognize the peril of deception. We have to visualize the progression of sin, and we have to actualize the provision of Christ. And I know those are some big eyes words, you know. Actualize, like some of us have a hard time knowing, what does actualize mean? I'm going to tell you. But I want you to think of this. The best way to keep this off of us is keeping this on close to the heart, close to where we're at. Verse 10, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. He's, he's saying this, You're dressed in a new wardrobe, custom made by the creator with his label on it. That is who we are. That If our life has changed, if we've been resurrected in Christ, we have new clothes with Jesus' name in it. That's who we now get to wear. 
And in verse 11 it says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, there's not circumcised and uncircumcised, there's not barbarian, there's not Scythian, there's not slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. The context here is he's saying, hey, you're no longer merely defined as Greek or Jew, American or Asian, black or white. You're no longer defined as rich or poor. You're no longer defined as Republican or Democrat. No, you have a new identity in Christ. And the word here is not recognize the provision of Jesus. It's not just sing about the provision of Jesus. No, it's actualize the provision of Jesus. It means to make a reality known about the provision of Jesus. We're not just recognizing Jesus' provision. We are actualized. We are making it a reality in our life. And so here's the question I want to leave you with today. And it's a question you hear on the red carpet, you know, when they're doing the Oscars. I don't really watch that stuff, but if you, if you like that kind of thing, then you can probably see this. They ask the same question to everyone when they're at the uh, red carpet. And you probably know what the question is. They got a little microphone, and they put it in the actress's face or the actor's face, and they normally ask this question. Who are you wearing? And what they mean by that is, what label, who made the dress or the clothing that you're wearing... Who designed that for you? And it's the same question I want to ask you today. Who are you wearing? You see, I want to look different than I did 30 years ago. And I'm not talking about physical, although that's already happened. <laughs> I'm talking about spiritual. I want to look different than I did 30 years ago. I want to look different than I did yesterday. And here's what it boils down to. It boils down to the choice that you're faced with every single day to decide, I'm going to pick up my grave clothes, my stinky, smelly grave clothes, and I'm going to wear them around today. I'm going to engage in sin. I'm going to engage in motives and thoughts and actions that do not please God. And I'm alive in Christ, but I'm going to act like I'm dead. And we can choose that. Or every day we can choose to pull off our glory clothes to, or to put on our glory clothes and to say to Christ, man, I'm following you. You've made this for me and I'm going to walk in the reality of who you've called me to be. So you, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask the question, who are you wearing today? Who are you wearing? Do you find yourself? Do you find yourself in your grave clothes? Or do you find yourself walking in glory? You know, walking in glory is not just something for eternity. It's something that we can walk in right now. And we don't have to live duplicitous lives. We don't have to live deception. There's people in the room right now just because of the size of the crowd. I don't know who you are, but Jesus does. That you walked in here right now and you're sweating worse than I am because you're wearing two clothes, two sets of clothes. You got your grave clothes on that no one sees and you got your glory clothes on and you are hiding the truth about who you are and what you're all about in this life. And Jesus is saying there is a better way. And you might be 18 or you might be 80 and that's your story. 
Man, walk out of that duplicity. Walk out of that deception. Realize who you are in Christ. Look at the path ahead of you. And the sin, that the, even the sins of the mind, the sins of what you do in your own private time that no one sees, that stuff's eventually going to catch up with you. And don't allow your life to follow that path. Allow God to make you into the image of his son and allow that to happen today and tomorrow and the next day so that a year from now you'll look back and say, man, I don't even recognize that person back there. And that is what God wants to do in and through your life. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus, for this moment we have to just hear from you. And and God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just Lord, reveal to us the sins of our mind, the sins of our thought patterns, the sins of our heart, the things we choose to put in front of our eyes, Lord, the things we think and the things we say, Lord. God, that represent a life that we no longer live, a dead life that we no longer want to be a part of. God, help us, Lord, to put that old grave clothes away and to walk in new clothes, to walk in glory closed. Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, today, God, that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that's never, that their life's never been changed, God, that today their life would change. And that if we're believers in Christ, God, that our lives would also change and that we would be more like your son every day. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.